Today on the show, uh, a Democratic state representative in Pennsylvania has been harassing and intimidating pro-life protesters outside of a Planned Parenthood in Philadelphia. So now, uh, in response to that, hundreds of us are about to show up to that Planned Parenthood to teach this guy a lesson about bullying. I'll have info on the event. Pretty exciting stuff. Also, Cory Booker is calling now for gun confiscation, but I thought Democrats uh, promised that they had no interest in gun confiscation. Well, it turns out that they lied, shockingly. And I tried a healthy vegan smoothie for the first time in my life, and it almost killed me. I have to tell you that traumatic tale as well today on The Matt Wall Show. All right, great to have you all here. Uh, uh, thanks for being here. I want to tell you about something really cool that's developing and uh, as we speak, and then some other things as well we got to talk about in the show today. But before we do that, before we get to the topic at hand, the topics at hand, here's an alarming statistic for you, okay? Over 75% of Americans are dangerously deficient in omega-3 levels. If you're experiencing joint pain, uh, chronic inflammation, lack of concentration, weight gain, chances are you're probably one of them. So no matter your age, your height, your weight, your gender, omega-3 fatty acids are vital to your overall health and considered a miracle pill by experts. And they're clinically proven to improve your mood, your memory, uh, your brain, cardiovascular health, all of that. But the problem is many of the top sellers do not contain enough omega-3s uh, omega to, to, to bring about noticeable therapeutic results. If you want to feel the benefits instantly, then you need to try Omax 3 Ultra Pure. That's the only game-changing omega-3 supplement on the market, 94% pure. Omax 3 is clinically tested, certified, sustainably sourced, so that means it's 100% safe for you and your family. Here's the, uh, here's the important point. Omax 3 is offering my listeners 50% off of a one-month supply of Omax uh, 3, plus free shipping, and then there's also a 60-day money-back guarantee. So you've got the free shipping, 50% off, money-back guarantee. I mean, you can't beat that. Just go to omaxhealth.com, enter code Walsh today to take advantage of this deal. That's omaxhealth.com, and enter code Walsh for 50% off of a one-month supply. Um, well, you hear all the hype around omega-3s. Now is your chance to try the most trusted omega-3 on the market today. Just go to omaxhealth.com and enter code Walsh. All right, let's begin um, the show with good news for a change. Well, first, I, I guess I have to back up and set it up with the bad part. So I, I, I already lied. Um, we'll, start with, we'll start with the bad part, and then we'll transition to the good part. Um, you may remember yesterday on the show, we discussed this guy, Brian Sims, who is a Democratic state representative in, in Pennsylvania. He is far, far left identifies himself as in his Twitter bio as an LGBTQ activist and also a RuPaul's Drag Race fanatic, as well as a Little Mermaid enthusiast, which is totally normal for a grown man, right, to uh, be a, a, a Little Mermaid enthusiast. Well, Brian, uh, normal Brian, hates pro-lifers. I mean, he really, really hates them. And he enjoys, therefore, hanging out outside of a, his local Planned Parenthood there in Philadelphia and harassing peaceful pro-lifers, especially old ladies and children, who are, by the way, his constituents. Uh, these are the people that he's supposed to be representing, but instead of representing them, he bullies them. You know, not exactly the same thing. So just to refresh your memory, uh, here's the clip I played yesterday on the show. This is him uh, harassing and bullying uh, an elderly woman. And keep in mind that this video goes on for eight minutes. I'm going to play just a piece of it, but this is eight minutes of this. Watch this. 
Hi everyone, uh, Representative Brian Sims here, and I'm once again out in front of Planned Parenthood of Southeastern Pennsylvania. Uh, it's not only in my district, it's the most heavily protested Planned Parenthood, I, I believe in the country, and today's protester. Now, she is an old white lady who's gonna try to avoid showing you her face. Um, but the same laws, and luckily, that protect her from being out here also protect me from showing you who she is. And so my hope is, is that you'll donate $100 for every extra hour that this woman is out here telling people what's right for their bodies. So I have a couple questions for you, ma'am. How, how many children have you clothed today? I'm sorry, I missed your answer. How many children have you clothed today? How about how many children have you put shoes on their feet today? Have you fed any children today? Or have you just stood out in front of a Planned Parenthood shaming people for something that they have a constitutional right to do? Huh? If you're here about the children, you can pray at home for children. It's probably the same place that you could feed a child, but you're not. Instead, you're out here shaming people for something that they have a constitutional right to do. Who would have thought that an old white lady would be out in front of a Planned Parenthood telling people what's right for their bodies? Shame on you. Shame on you for hiding your face at the same time that you're shaming other people. Again, the same laws that protect me protect you, and, and that's okay. You're allowed to be out here. That doesn't mean that you have a moral right to be out here. Shame on you. What you're doing here is disgusting. This is wrong. You have no business being out here. Hi, everybody. Thank you for being here. Yep. Disgusting. But, but Brian, he, he's not a coward who just focuses on the elderly. No, he, he, he's a coward who likes to target children also. So uh, watch this. Hi everyone, uh, Representative Brian Sims here, and I am outside the Planned Parenthood at Southeastern Pennsylvania. Oh, no, they're leaving now. What we've got here is a bunch of protesters, a bunch of pseudo-Christian protesters who've been out here shaming young girls for being here. Hi. And so here's the deal. I've got $100 to anybody who will identify any of these three. So we're actually going to donate to Planned Parenthood. I'm going to donate to Planned Parenthood. And so look, a bunch of more. white people standing out in front of a Planned no, Parenthood shaming I'm people. Really There's sorry. nothing Christian about what you're doing. I'm nothing Christian at all about what you're doing. Hi, nothing Christian or loving or godly about what you're doing. So I've got $100 to anybody who will identify who this is. $100. See if you got some friends out here. 100 bucks. It'd be easier if you just give me your name and your address. Um, Rich, come on. Rich, Bonnie. Rich, where are you from? Uh, Rich, what makes you think that it's your job to tell women what's right for their bodies? And the truth is, I'm not really asking because I don't care. Shame on you. Guys, Planned Parenthood out here faces attacks daily from people like this. From, from pseudo-Christians saying that they are, are here to somehow pr protect their, their own version of Christianity. Um, so do me a favor. If you've watched this, please consider giving $100 to Planned Parenthood. I'm going to do the same. There, he's, he's not only harassing and bullying those kids, but he's also trying to dox them. He's trying to uh, basically put a bounty out to get their addresses. Now, why does this man want these kids' addresses? I don't know. I mean, we can only speculate. It's a, it's a, it's a very, um, along with being bullying and despicable, it's a very strange thing. Here's the thing, though. I talked about this on the show yesterday. And I was heated. I was angry. I still am. When I see peaceful pro-lifers treated that way, it, it, it just, it pisses me off, frankly. And when the peaceful pro-lifers happen to be kids or elderly women who are being targeted, well, that's going to really send me through the roof. But 
I don't want to be just angry and complain. Uh, nothing wrong with complaining. I do it all the time. It's one of my favorite pastimes. Um, it's, it's, it's what I do for a living. But I, don't, I want to do more than that. I don't want to just complain. So yesterday, I, you know, I had the thought. I, I put it out there on Twitter. I said, let's get a huge rally together um, and, and actually show up physically to this place, this, this Planned Parenthood in Philly, and um, to this place where, you know, where these people are being harassed and show some, some solidarity with those who are being bullied. And also, most importantly, to stand for the babies. And also to show Brian Sims that we aren't going to sit back and let you treat elderly women and, and kids that way. Let's give Brian a chance to man up and try pulling those stunts when there's a whole bunch of us out there, including other grown men. That was a suggestion that I made on Twitter, and within hours, uh, it, it, it came together. It came into fruition. Now it's, it's really going to happen. Uh, I spoke with Lila Rose over at Live Action. I talked to Abby Johnson. Um, I heard from a bunch of other pro-life groups. Heard from other conservatives in the movement, uh, like Graham Allen. He's, he's, he's uh, going to be there. So it's, it's happening. 11 a.m. on Friday at the Planned Parenthood in Philadelphia, where these pro-lifers have been harassed. That's 1144 Locust Street. 1144 Locust Street in Philadelphia. Um, I'm going to be there, you know, I, so let's, let's do it. It's, uh, I'm hoping for a big crowd. I'm expecting one. This, this thing has blown up just in the last few hours. Like I said, it was late last night that I had this thought, put it out there and it's already, uh, you know, people are buying plane tickets to show up to this thing. So if you can come out, I know it's a work day and, uh, and if you can't get off work, then you can't. But it, it is something worth taking off time for if you can, if it's possible. Then I would ask you to come out. Come out and, and stand for life for the babies and stand against bullying. Because pro-lifers are treated this way far too often. This is very common. Uh, this happens all the time. I mean, I, I play videos like this on the show a lot. You've seen this kind of stuff on the show and, other, and, and, and elsewhere online because this is common. Uh, don't think for a minute that Brian Sims is the only jerk in America who likes to harass a peaceful, elderly, pro-life protesters. I, no, it's this, uh, especially, you know, that the woman in the video, who, who, by the way, is just courageous and filled with grace and patience far more than, than I have, um, far more of all three of those things, grace, patience, and courage than I have, but I think I'm guessing one of the reasons why she was able to respond so calmly to those provocations is that, you know, she's an older woman in, in the pro-life movement. Uh, she's probably been doing this a long time. And if she has, that is certainly not the first time she's been treated that way. Uh, I, I, I am guessing that she's been treated that way many times. As any pro-lifer who's been in it for a long time has been. So this is not about, when we all go there um, on Friday, this is not just about Brian Sims. This is about making a statement about all the, you know, against all of the abuse that's heaped, and not just on pro-lifers either, but on, but on people who are exercising their First Amendment rights and who suffer abuse and, and ridicule and intimidation because of it. So this is a, 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 a pro-First Amendment thing. And it's also pro-life. It's both of those things. And, um, I think it's going to be great. I'm just, I'm, I'm thrilled that this, this came together the way that it did. And I think we should do this more often.
right? When, when we see something like this and we're all talking about it online and it's going viral and we're, we're all upset about something, well, let's do something. Let's actually go places and, and do things and show up and not just be online. So again, that's uh, Friday, 11 a.m., uh, 1144 Locust Street, the Planned Parenthood in Philadelphia. I hope to see you there. All right. Cory Booker is drowning in the polls and um, trying to save himself now by out-liberaling his opponents. And he just unveiled a, a massive anti-Second Amendment plan, which I will uh, allow an article in the New York Times to describe. Hold on a second. Um, so this is what the New York Times says about Booker's plan says aspects of Mr. Booker's 14 part plan are among the most progressive gun control measures suggested by a candidate seeking a Democratic nomination for president and are likely to face sharp criticism from gun rights advocates like the National Rifle Association. Um, Mr. Booker said in a statement, my plan to address gun violence is simple. We will make it harder for people who should not have a gun to get one. I am sick and tired of having of hearing thoughts and prayers to the communities that have been shattered by gun violence. Um, I don't know why you have to make a false choice there between thoughts and prayers and, and, and this, but uh, the most notable piece of Mr. Booker's plan is the proposed gun licensing program, which would enact minimum standards for gun ownership nationwide. Under such a program, a person seeking to buy a gun would need to apply for a license in much the same way that one applies for a passport. Mr. Booker's campaign said the process would involve submitting fingerprints and sitting for an interview and would require applicants to complete a certified gun safety course. Uh, each applicant would also undergo a federal background check before being issued a gun license, which would be valid for up to five years. So you, you have to go and do this every five years. You're, you're interviewed, you get fingerprints. Um, well, I assume the fingerprints they would only do the one time. Uh, you, you take a, a gun safety course. I don't know if you have to do that every five years. Um, other parts of the plan would include banning bump stocks, which enable semi-automatic weapons to fire faster, limiting bulk purchases of firearms, closing loopholes that allow domestic abusers and people on terror watch lists to obtain guns. And um, the plan calls for the IRS to investigate the NRA's tax-exempt status. So we're, we're lumping that in, too. This is just a goodie bag of uh, a grab bag of far-left initiatives. Booker also said, if you need a license to drive a car... You should need a license to own a gun. And that's kind of how he summarizes his plan here. Now, uh, the plan also involves gun confiscation, which is something that Democrats always say they aren't interested in doing. But before we get to that part of it, as for this idea of um, everyone having to get a federal license to, to own a gun, there, there are two things. Number one, if you need a license to drive a car, you should need one to own a gun. That is a total non sequitur. Okay, that's the kind of thing that makes sense to you if you're not really thinking about it. It's similar to the um, no fly, no buy idea, which it sounds like is included in Booker's plan. Where, well, if, if you're not allowed to fly on a plane, then you shouldn't be allowed to own a gun. As if those two things are somehow connected, which they aren't. Um. Just because you need a license for one thing doesn't mean you should need a license for some other random thing that you can point out. Why? Well, for one, gun ownership is a constitutional right. Driving a car is not. And that's why the government can be much more restrictive with the latter because it's not a right. It's not a fundamental constitutional right, whereas um, owning a gun is. Also, 
most vehicle owners drive their cars every day. Uh, they put hundreds of thousands of miles on a car, then they trade it in they, and they buy a new one and they put hundreds of thousands of miles on that car. The average American drives over 13,000 miles a year. So if you add up, um, if you figure they start driving when they're 16, 17, and, uh, and if you look at all their driving, that's probably like 700 or 800,000 miles in a lifetime that they drive. Meanwhile, the average gun owner um, never uses or rarely uses the gun at all. That's the average gun owner. The average gun owner has the gun in a safe or in a closet or something, and they rarely, if ever, ever pull it out. It's not an everyday item for most people. Now, it is an everyday item for some people. And as for the gun owners who, who use the thing much more often and who, um, uh, you know, they, who have a lot of guns and they, they go target shooting or they hunt or whatever, well, the issue becomes self-regulating for them. Because they, those people are already, they, they learn about guns, they become experts, they do that on their own. So find me any random person on the street who owns 20 guns and uses them regularly, and I guarantee that person is very knowledgeable and very adept at using firearms safely. There is this, obviously the impression of the, the gun owner that Democrats want you to have is that these are people who are unhinged and dangerous and so on, but that's just not the case. Uh, I know a lot of people, I'm a gun owner myself, but I know a lot of people who are, who are you know, gun enthusiasts and they have a lot of guns. Um, and every single one of them, it's, they're extremely knowledgeable. They, are, they not only uh, know how to use a gun safely, but they're uh, obsessive about using a gun safely. And if they, if they see a picture online of someone you know, holding the gun in, in, you know, improperly or doing something unsafe, they're going to you know, freak out. So it's not just that they use guns safely. They are, they are just extremely um, uh, you know, obsessive about it. And that's, the, that's, and that's how it is. So this is a self-regulating thing. This idea that you need a, a, a driver's license type of license, it just becomes redundant. The whole point here is that the point of a driver's license is not to make it so that the government can keep track of you. At least that's not the stated point of the driver's license. Now, that might really be the point at the end of the day. But ostensibly, the point is that uh, you need to learn how to drive safely before you actually get behind the wheel so that you don't kill someone. Well, as I said, that's not an issue with guns. Most people never use them anyway, and those who do already know how to use them safely. And it's not an issue. As for those people who use them regularly and aren't interested in safety, let's say like gang members. I mean, think about the, the kinds of people who might own a lot of guns, use them a lot, yet they don't care about safety and uh, they, are, they use the guns in dangerous ways. Well, that is a category of people exclusively populated by criminals and gang members and drug dealers. Like that's, that's what you're talking about there. And those people... They're not going to bother getting a license. You can pass all the licensing laws you want, but they don't care. Every, the, everything they do with their life is illegal. They're committing crimes all the time. They don't care about that. And in fact, if you're someone who you know you're going to use your gun to commit crimes uh, because you're a gangbanger, let's say, 
Well, you're not going to go and get a license for it. Any more, any more than you would, uh, you know, call up the police and ask them if, if it's okay if you go shoot up the, the you know, the, do a drive-by shooting. Like, you're not going to do that. You, you know that it's illegal, and you're doing it anyway. So then you have the only people who are going to obey a licensing law are precisely the people who, don't, who we don't need to have licensed because for them it's redundant. They're already safe gun owners. And the second point, which is related to this, is how exactly, I mean, walk me through the steps here. So step one is federal licensing law. Everyone has to get licensed if you own a gun. And then there's like some sort of in-between step. And then the third step is fewer mass shootings. What is the in What happens in between? I understand your idea here is, you know, you do this and then that's the result, but but. I don't see how you how you bridge that gap. Because it seems to me, as I said, the people who know that they want to use guns to commit crimes are not going to bother getting licensed. So that's out. And uh, anyone who is a, you know, a, a responsible and safe gun owner, and then let's say they go crazy one day and they decide they want to go shoot up a, a, you know, a, a shopping mall or something, well, the license isn't going to stop them from doing that. Because the point is, at the time when they went to get the license, they didn't have that in mind. They were responsible, uh, you know, law-abiding citizens. So there would be no basis upon which to, 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 to not give them the, the license. What's going to stop them after they get the license? What, what about that license would prevent them from having a psychotic breakdown and then going and killing people? That, that's what I don't see. That's just completely pointless. Uh, but the other aspect of Cory Booker's plan, as I mentioned, is gun confiscation, which the Democrats have always told us they're not interested in that. And they still, even though you have now a Democrat, a presidential candidate proposing gun confiscation, he still won't admit that's what he's doing, even though it's clear that's what he's doing. Watch this. Before you go, just one final question on your gun proposal, since you've just released it this morning. Um, your, your fellow, your competitor uh, in the 2020 race, uh, Congressman Eric Swalwell, has also, like you, proposed an assault weapons ban. But he's proposing a buyback program where Americans who currently have those guns uh, could sell them, essentially, to the government. But if they don't, within a certain period of time, they would be prosecuted, so subject to be thrown in jail, perhaps. Are you supportive of the same measure? Well, first of all, when I was mayor of the city of Newark, again, I have a record on dealing with gun violence. We, we did a lot of uh, gun buybacks and even other creative ideas that I think uh, we should have uh, uh, when I'm president of the United States. The critical thing is I think most Americans uh, agree that these weapons of war uh, should not be on our streets. But, again, but would, some... you, would you prosecute people? Do you support the government buying them back? And if not, potentially people could go to jail if they don't want to sell them back. Yes or no? Uh, again, we should have a law that bans these weapons and we should have a reasonable period in which people can turn in these weapons. Uh, right now, we have a nation that allows in streets and communities like mine these weapons that should not exist. Okay, so... He, he, he doesn't. He doesn't want the the soundbite of him actually saying, "Yes, we're going to prosecute people who don't voluntarily turn in their guns," but that's what it is. Voluntarily turn in your guns in a buyback program, 
And, uh, but if you don't voluntarily do it, then we'll put you in prison. That's obviously the implication here. Because this is a mandatory thing. You have to turn in your assault, your quote-unquote assault weapon. I'm using the hand quotes way too much here. Um, you have to turn in your quote-unquote assault weapons. And uh, which, you know, we need to figure out what the hell that even is. What, what is an assault weapon? Uh, no one knows what that word even means, what that phrase means. It doesn't really mean anything. But um, it, it turn those in. And you have a, a grace period upon, you know, in, in which you can, you can do that. And, but if you don't do it, then there's obviously going to be some kind of penalty. So this is forced gun confiscation being proposed by Cory Booker. Uh, and there's just, there's just no way around that conclusion. It's very clear. All right. Um, finally, before we get to emails... I've got to talk to you about something. Yeah, I've, this is really important that we need to talk about. We need to spend a couple minutes on this. Yesterday, I was, I was out, and it was, it was lunchtime. And I was thinking, you know, I'm, I'm hungry. i got to get something to eat. So I was thinking I, maybe I'd go to McDonald's or Taco Bell or Arby's, which are all wonderful places, beautiful places, that have uh, just great high-quality food. But I thought, you know what? Uh, I want to eat healthy. I'm, I'm going to be healthy. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm going to be healthy for a change, and I'm going to really make a healthy choice. And mainly I was thinking that way because I had just come from getting fitted for a tuxedo for my friend's wedding. And, uh, and in the process of getting fitted for the tuxedo, of course, they have to take your waist measurement. And my waist measurement was, let's say, a bit more generous than I would have preferred. And also, I, I was shamed because as, you know, I'm in the, this kind of busy tuxedo place and the guy's taking the measurements. And for some reason, like, he's just taking the measurements so that he can write them down on a piece of paper. But for some reason, he announces the measurements out loud. Like, loud, he practically screams them into a bullhorn. He does the waist measurement and says, oh, the waist is, and then he shouts it to everybody around him for some reason. So I was feeling shamed, depressed, um, obese. And, uh, and so I said, I'll, I'll do something healthy. And there was this vegan health food smoothie place, like the, one of those smoothie and juice places, trendy little places nearby, the type of place that puts kale and carrots into their smoothies, um, the type of place that makes, that makes the kind of food that zookeepers would give to like baby pandas. And so I, I said, I'm going to go in there. I went in and I got a smoothie. And this is what the smoothie looked like. Look at this. Um, that that's not I, it's not a joke. I didn't this that it's not camera tricks. That's really what they served me. Okay, it looks like the, it looks like the Jolly Green Giant went on a tequila bender and then was hung over and puked into a cup. That's that's what that looks like. It looks like it looks like regurgitation, and it tasted like despair. It was I I when I tasted it, I felt this sudden. Uh, sensation of total misery. Like, I can't even describe it. I was already depressed about the waistline thing, and then I tasted this thing, and I, I, I could barely, I almost cried. I almost wept. That's how bad it was. But this is what vegans eat, and this is why vegans are dangerous people. They are, vegans are, are, are essentially drinking the contents of a rabbit's intestines, and this is what they live with. These people are sick, they're psychos. This is this is this is uh, really disturbing, 
And if this is what eating healthy means, then I have no interest. I, I retire from healthy eating. I, I, I experimented with healthy eating for one meal in my 32 years of life, and I'm done with it. Now, in fairness, that smoothie, the name of that smoothie on the menu was called um, Immunization Station. Immunization, Im, Immunization Station was the name of the, of the item on the menu. Um, there was a slightly better looking smoothie that at least didn't have carrots in it. But the name of that smoothie on the menu was um, Fab and Fruity. Fab and Fruity was the name of the, the thing. And, there, and, I, and I wanted that smoothie, but there was just no way I was going to order something that required me to say, yes, I'll have the Fab and Fruity, please. Thank you. I just, I couldn't do that. I couldn't. And, and I, I run into that a lot at places where the, 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 the menu item I want has a really embarrassing and humiliating name, and I can't bring myself to say it. So I take something I don't want. And so I went with this, and it killed me. It really, I died. I died, and I came back to life, and I wished I was still dead. That's how bad it was. And so I threw the, this monstrosity away, and I went to Arby's. Because if this is what it takes to live to 90, then I'll take the french fries and the early exit. Thank you very much. Um, and I will enjoy my abbreviated life which will be filled with grease and fries and hamburgers, like an American, like a human, not a vegan. All right, um, let's get to some emails. MattWalshow at gmail.com, MattWalshow at gmail.com. This is from um, Caitlin, says, Greetings, O wise and bearded supreme leader of the multiverse. Uh, of the, oh, yeah, the, so I'm the leader of the, not just the universe, the multiverse. Very good. Good point. Thank you for the insights and advice that you share in your podcast. It's often one of the highlights of my day. I wanted to ask you if you get nervous or ever, get, or ever got nervous before doing a podcast or a uh, speaking event. I used to be a very confident public speaker. However, I have recently started to feel nervousness at the beginning of my speeches and presentations. I settle back down after a few minutes, but I do not know how to handle myself when my voice shakes and gets quiet. What do you do if, when you get nervous? You know, I generally don't get nervous um, before, I definitely don't get nervous before something like a podcast, which is just me talking to myself, basically. I, most of the time, I even forget that anyone else is going to listen to this. Um, as for speeches, no, I don't get nervous before speech. The only thing I get nervous about before a speech is the turnout. I want to, I, I want there to be a good turnout. If there's a good turnout, then I'm not, then I'm good to go. I'm not going to be nervous. Um, I'm a lot more uncomfortable making small talk individually with people than giving speeches. I would rather give a speech to a thousand people than make small talk with one person. That's, that's just how I'm wired. Um, and by the way, most people who speak publicly, most public speakers are, are that way. Um, as for ways to cure nervousness, well, don't imagine the audience naked. I don't know where that nugget of wisdom came from, you know, people say, imagine the audience naked, it'll cure stage fright. Uh, it, 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 that definitely does not, it's, it's just, it'll, it'll, it's disturbing and it's confusing. Uh, and so I would not try that tactic. What I would say for any kind of social anxiety is this, keep in mind, uh, how little everyone actually cares about you and, and your performance. I don't mean that as a, as an insult. It's the same for me. It's the same for everybody. Um, it, it may sound discouraging, but it really isn't. It's actually liberating because when you're sitting there and you're going, Oh no, are people are, are people judging me? Are they enjoying what I'm saying? Are they, are, what are they thinking about me? Well, just realize that they're probably not thinking about you at all. Um, and even if you're up there giving a speech and you bomb, 
and you just give a terrible speech, the worst speech anyone has ever heard. Uh, within five minutes of that speech ending, everyone will have already moved on with their life and they won't be thinking about it and they probably will never think about it again. Within five minutes, they're, they're back to thinking about, oh, I, what are we going to get to eat? Oh, I got to, you know, I, we're having car problems. I got to take this car to the shop. Uh, you know, all, whatever. I mean, just they're, they're thinking about a million other things in their own life. They're not thinking about your speech. I've had a few speeches that didn't go over well. Um, and, well, I've had, I've had many speeches that didn't go over well. But, but in, in many cases, the speech didn't go over well, but I still feel like it was a great speech. And so I don't care about that. I have had speeches that didn't go over well. And when I look back, I think, well, that wasn't a great speech. I, I wish I had written it differently. or I wish I had made this or that change. And sometimes I think back on them and I, and I think, man, I, I wish I had, you know, I, I start thinking about changes I wish I had made. But then I realize that literally no one else in the universe is thinking about that speech or the mistakes that I made. No one else. I am the only person of all the, the beings in the universe. I am the only one who is thinking about that. No one, everyone else has moved. Most people never knew about it. And the few that did have, have moved on long ago. And they don't even remember it. Um, so relax is what I'm saying. It doesn't, it doesn't really matter that much. Uh, you know, and, and, and with a speech, here's the thing. Uh, most speeches that people give are just unremarkable and kind of boring. That's the vast majority of speeches that have been delivered in the history of speech giving have been unremarkable and boring. And, you know, it's just what speeches are most of the time. And so people just forget about them. And then that's all. And it do doesn't matter. It's not humiliating for you. It's just, you know, it's just most people think, oh, OK, it was a speech. You gave a speech, whatever, you know, uh, kind of boring, but fine. Um, if. If you really, the only time you can really make an impression on someone so that they'll remember it is if you deliver a great speech. Now, you could make an impression by delivering a great speech. And so if you do that, great. But bombing when you're giving a speech mostly just means it was kind of boring and unremarkable. And people are going to forget about that. So I guess what I'm saying is you're kind of playing with house money. You got nothing to lose. Either, either you'll, you won't give a good speech and people will forget about it. Fine, whatever. Or you give a great speech and people remember it and, and they do remember that. Uh, and it does have some impact on them. And that's good too. So, you know, you don't, you don't have a lot to use. The only, the only thing to worry about in public speaking is that you like pee your pants or something while you get like if something like that. Now that your life is basically over in that case, let's be honest. Like, people will remember that for as long as they live and talk about it. Um, so just don't do that and, uh, or vomit or something, no bodily fluids should make an appearance. Uh, aside from that, you're fine. All right. Um, let's go to, we'll do one more. Uh, this is from don't have a name says, hi, Matt. I'd like to ask a question about different styles of music offered in church. I prefer singing traditional hymns as I think their language more appropriately expresses theological concepts. Other people, however, argue that choice of music in church is purely a personal preference and whatever style gets people in the door and singing along is acceptable. Do you have a stance on this issue or any feeling towards music in general, uh, in church generally? Yeah, I've talked about this before. I do have a stance on the issue. I think that, um, uh, I, I, I think that the traditional hymns, it's not just that they're traditional. It's that in most cases, 95% of the time, the traditional hymn is just better. Like it, it, it just, it expresses 
not not only the theological concepts, but the uh, emotion, the feeling of of worship and of being before the divine. It expresses that in a much more eloquent, meaningful, relatable, affecting way. Uh, and so that's why I say stick with traditional hymns is because they are simply better almost always. There may be a few, very few exceptions of hymns that were written in the last 20 years that are just as good, if not better, than traditional hymns. I can't think of any. I don't think there have been any that are better. I, 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 but I, I'll, allow, I, I'll allow for the fact that I haven't heard all of them, so maybe there's a good one out there somewhere. But most of the time, they simply aren't as good. And um, so, why? So then the question is, if the if the traditional hymn is clearly better. Um, why would you sing the new one instead? And the answer is you sing the new one because it's new. And you think, well, chronological snobbery is what C.S. Lewis called it. It must be better because it's, even though it's not better, the fact that it's new kind of makes it better. And so let's do the new one and people will, you know, we can get, the young people will like it more because it's new. Everyone will like it more. We'll be more relevant. We'll be more hip. We'll attract more people because it's new. And that's just not the case. These timeless hymns are timeless for a reason. They, everyone loves them. They, they, they relate to young people, old people, doesn't matter who. Uh, so I say stick with those. Thanks for the question, though, and uh, thanks everybody for watching and listening. Godspeed. I'm Michael Knowles, host of The Michael Knowles Show. President Trump ratchets up trade talks with China. We will examine the case for tariffs, and we'll see how that turns out. Then Pete Buttigieg goes after President Trump's marriage because Pete Buttigieg is a big jerk. Check it all out at dailywire.com.